Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tip scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, we live in an uncertain world, modern times from politics to illness to how the economy functions, racial and gender bias, and even the opening and closings of schools and camps right now has taught us that nobody can perfectly predict what it is that's going to happen from year to year, from month to month, and even from day to day. The world we know can feel disturbing and unfamiliar at times. And in the wake of what feels increasingly threatening and unpredictable to parents, moms and dads are pushing their kids to excel, swooping in to rescue from all struggle, if it may give them an extra edge, and leaving the kids unprepared, fragile, and reliant on others when they are faced with challenges and adversity. And I can't forget to mention the stress and anxiety, the exhaustion, the overwhelm and distress that come in heaping portions when kids wake up to facing a future that they haven't really been prepared for and they feel ill-equipped to deal with. It's not exactly a recipe for success. Of course, we too, as parents, are stressed out as we compare ourselves incessantly with the Joneses who are leading their perfect lives on Facebook and Instagram while we worry about what school our children will attend, which extra sport or activity they can take to round out their resume, and when in the world they will learn another language to make themselves more marketable. But my next guest tells us there is hope. We are learning what skills our children really need to succeed. And they have to do less with learning to code or taking another AP class and more to do with adaptability, mental agility, curiosity, collaboration, tolerance for failure, resilience, and optimism. Most importantly, my next guest provides the day-to-day solutions parents can use to raise kids who are prepared, enthusiastic, and ready to face an unknown future with confidence and optimism. And of course, there's no time that we need that more than now. Madeline Levine, PhD, is a psychologist with over 35 years of experience as a clinician, consultant, educator, and author. Her New York Times bestseller, The Price of Privilege, explores the reasons why teenagers from affluent families are experiencing epidemic rates of emotional problems. Her follow-up book, Teach Your Children Well, also a New York Times bestseller, tackles our current narrow definition of success, how it unnecessarily stresses academically talented kids and marginalizes many more whose talents and interests are less amenable to measurement. Her current book, Ready or Not, focuses on how to best prepare our children and ourselves for an uncertain and rapidly changing world. Her books have been translated into multiple languages. Dr. Levine is 
highly sought after as a lecturer and keynote speaker for parents, educators, and business leaders, both nationally and internationally. Currently, she spends most of her time speaking to parents, educators, students, and business leaders, as well as consulting with major corporations and high net worth individuals. Dr. Levine and her husband of 40 years, Lee Schwartz, live in San Francisco and are the incredibly proud parents of three adult sons and a newly minted granddaughter. So welcome, Madeline Levine, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Before we get into the book and all of the information that you have for us, for sure. those people who haven't had the opportunity to meet you, to read your books, to hear you speak, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in this topic of preparing our kids and educating parents so that kids can thrive in an uncertain and rapidly changing world? So I'm going to answer that in two parts, Robin. The, what got me writing my current book, Ready or Not, and what started me on this whole trajectory. Perfect. Um, so The Price of Privilege was actually written about 15 years ago when I was a psychologist in Marin County, uh, uh, right outside of San Francisco. And, you know, my training taught me how to deal with kids who looked really unhappy, depressed, anxious, uh, or even more disordered. But that wasn't what I was seeing in my office. I mean, I was seeing some of that, but but... More of what I was seeing were kids who, for all the world, looked like they should be doing fine. They Mm -hmm. came from good families, um, usually intact families. Uh, Nobody was in jail. Nobody was drinking. You know, they they were from what we have historically thought of as protective environments. And yet they came in looking miserable. Mm. And the the price of privilege starts out with this uh, young lady who had um, taken a razor and carved the word empty into her arm. Mm-hmm. And that started the book. And that, that young lady also started my interest in like, what the hell is going on here? These are kids who don't on the surface look like they should be so unhappy, but they were. And then mm-hmm. I just started talking to people around the country who were seeing the same thing. Um, noticing that rates of, at that point, really depression more than anxiety were ticking up. Mm -hmm. And I I had three um, kids of my own at home at that point. And so I was really interested in how to help these kids, sort of the traditional way you might help a really depressed kid might be with medication and some something called cognitive behavioral therapy. But these kids didn't fit that pattern. They didn't need medication. And I really wasn't sure what was what was wrong with them. So that was the beginning mm-hmm. of my interest. And then Ready or Not came about because I had spent, frankly, the last 15 years on the road talking Mm -hmm. about kids having a hard time, along with a whole bunch of colleagues, uh, Michelle Borba and Wendy Mogul and Ken Ginsberg, and just, there were a whole bunch of us running around the country talking about the same problem, that these kids didn't look like they were doing well, and the data showed they weren't. Um, And... 
Ready or Not came out of the realization that not only had 15 years of running around the country not helped things, but that rates of uh, mental illness and just plain old unhappiness were rising. And I wanted to know why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so important, the information that you're providing. And it's so funny, you mentioned Michelle Borba and Kenneth Ginsburg. These are people who've also been on my podcast. And it's important to get these, these topics out. You talk so much about anxiety in the first part of your book. Mm-hmm. And you say that most of us understand that we're living in a rapidly changing and uncertain world. This heightens our anxiety and compromises our problem-solving and decision-making skills. Then you go on to say, children's natural instinct is to avoid the thing that makes them anxious or afraid. But if they do, they can't develop courage and competency. So given what you're saying here, and that we, of course, don't want our children to be highly anxious and can continue to avoid the things that you know will help them grow, how do we help our children learn from and overcome some of that anxiety so that they can try new things and become more desensitized from those things that make them feel fearful? Are there do's and don'ts that you can discuss? Um, there are, and, and I'll get to them in a minute, but, but I think we have to step back just a little mm-hmm. bit um, when we talk about anxiety and say, look, anxiety is partly genetic, partly environmental. We know that. Yes. Um, And these rising, rising rates of anxiety where 30% of kids now have an anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. the genetics hasn't changed, right, in the 15 years since I've been looking at it. So you have to then take a look at what's changed in the environment. Um, There's a saying I like, genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger. Mm -hmm. Well said, yes. Yeah, so if if genetics don't change in 15 years, what exactly has happened in this culture to make kids more anxious? And I I can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, what's going on here? What is the situation? And then what are we doing about it? Okay, so I think that that in order to really solve this, one has to go back to definitions of success. Mm -hmm. So success has had a very narrow definition for a long time for many reasons. It's been about good grades. It's been about the right college. It's been about being on the select team. It's Mm -hmm. been very performance-based. And And very, and performance-based in very specific areas. We're not talking about, you know, excelling at certain things that people are like, well, that's, you know, not exactly the the best thing to excel at. We want you to excel in this sports and in school and in these very, very narrow areas, right? Right. And, you know, it just hits me, Robin, when, when you said that. It's also in things that are public in a way. So you're Mm -hmm. exactly right. You wouldn't say, you know, my kid is the best, I don't know, card collector, because there's nothing public about that. Mm -hmm. And you don't put a bumper sticker saying, you know, I'm the proud parent of a marvelous card collector. Very diligent card collector. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So I never thought of that, but they're all like, 
Yeah, the kind of public-facing, measurable things that you can put on a bumper sticker. Yes, very um, good point, yes. Yeah, so I, th I think as long as we had that notion, that narrow notion of success, um, and kind of a scarcity mentality, which was if you get into Brown, then that's one less seat for me. If you mm -hmm. make the team, then my kids are all millennials. And when my oldest kid was growing up, he used to tutor kids down the block because you that's what you did was you helped other kids. And, and now it became incredibly competitive as opposed to collaborative. Mm. And that's incredibly out of line with what people in industry, the CEOs of the exact corporations that people would like jobs in, it's exactly the opposite of what they say they're looking for. So collaboration, for example, always comes up high on the list. And I have one little anecdote I like about mm -hmm. the shift. Um, my husband's cousin is the head of uh, neuroimaging at NIDA, which is a part of NIMH. So he hires a lot of scientists. And whenever I write a book, I check with him because he's so much smarter than me that I've got it right, the, ne the neuropsych part. And I asked him before Ready or Not was published whether or not there was a difference in the kinds of scientists he was hiring now versus, say, 15 years ago. And he said, absolutely. He, so I say, what? He said, content has gone to the bottom of the list. Now, that doesn't mean that content doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Content always matters. You know, you've got to learn how to read and write and that stuff. But content is available at kind of the swipe of a finger now. And what you do with that content, whether you can work on a complex problem, whether you can make a mistake and get up from it, whether you can be creative with that content, whether you can collaborate around that content, all those kinds of things have risen to the top of the hiring list. Which is fascinating hire. given that what you talk about in the book is that we're preparing our children in this very linear way, mm -hmm. but not for those types of skills. They're much more in predictable skills for the narrow definition of success you just outlined before. Right. But so, so, you know, I wasn't um, prescient when I wrote preparing our kids to thrive in an uncertain world. I mean, I had no idea there was a pandemic that, resulted in lockdown about eight days after the book came out. Yes. I didn't know that at all. But what I did know from talking to people around the country and outside of my usual educators and psychologists, I felt like I knew that stuff kind of. Um, I wanted to see what people who were in the middle of change mm -hmm. had to say about how you navigate change. And that meant going to admirals and generals and CEOs and, and heads of hiring, people who were kind of right in the middle of it and asking them what they were looking for. And it, it came out to be the same thing over and over again, which was, you know, competence and flexibility, the things you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. curiosity, creativity, self-regulation, resilience, and they're all teachable skills. They're just as teachable as calculus A. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we have always considered them, quote, soft skills uh, and haven't devoted anywhere near the amount of time to them that we've devoted to making sure your SATs, which have now 
kind of out of the picture mm-hmm. um, uh, are high. And so the, the book is really a call for people to understand that it, even before the pandemic, it was a shifting world in terms of um, the velocity of change. You know, people will often say, well, there was the Industrial Revolution. Well, there was, but that took place over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the iPhone uh, was popularized within about four years. So the velocity of change is different. And I, and I think we were on um, the wrong trajectory. We were just not paying attention to how the world was changing and mm. how we would have to adapt. Mm. Okay. So that <laughs> really feels like the crux of it, uh, as we were saying, that we're sort of preparing our children in a way that wasn't actually equipping them with the tools they needed to be the new type of successful, adaptable, and and all of those things that we just mentioned. We are making them look great on paper. Very stressed out though, Mm -hmm. and not willing to try new things because they were scared to make mistakes because what would that show on paper? So what what is the solution or part of the solution at least for parents who are listening to help their kids then try, start trying new things and, and become more adaptable and more resilient what, if they're certainly worried or anxious about many different things. So, so the, the reality, Robin, I think is you start with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I said uh, environment pulls the trigger, Mm -hmm. what are parents themselves going through that have made it so difficult to pay attention to these signs, right? You know, I'm not the only person who's noticing that jobs uh, are requiring different skills. And I I think one of the things, and I can speak especially to mothers because I'm a mother and and most of my patients were mothers, have been mothers. Um, I I think that, excuse me, I've been talking a lot, I'm sorry. It's quite all Uh, right. My voice is a little cracked. Um, I think we are incredibly anxious ourselves. Mm -hmm. So people like hearing, don't like hearing, but people are always asking me about rising rates of, for example, anxiety in kids. One in three kids, 30% Mm. the exact. The exact same rate in adults, 30%. So, Mm. you know, we can focus on the kids, which we will in a minute, but until, until parents themselves understand why they're so anxious. And there, by the way, there are good reasons to be anxious. Um, the incredibly bifurcated economy, which mm-hmm. this pandemic has really mm-hmm. highlighted. No kidding. If you weren't paying attention before, right? It really highlighted. Um, so we had this incredibly bifurcated economy. There were winners or losers. It was a zero sum game. Nobody wanted their kid to be a loser, of course. So they pushed and pushed in spite of, you know, what I said or Michelle said or Ken said. We'd get a lot of head nodding and then people going back to the same thing saying, I can't afford to have my child be an experiment. They sort of an experiment. Mm, mm. Um, and I would say now you can't afford not to have your child um, become more creative, become more adaptable, become more flexible. But experiment, before, your child to experiment, right. not be, a, be an experiment, but actively to experiment. 
Right. Well, and, you know. and, and so in order to have that happen, first you have to have parents who honestly buy in to the fact that it's necessary and that they're going to have to take stock of their own level of anxiety. Um, because more than anything, kids take their cues from their parents. And, you know, we're hearing every day now parents have to stay calm and do structure and things like that. And that's true. That's what parents need to do. So first, I think we need parents doing some self-evaluation around their own level of anxiety and what they're worried about. Are they worried about their kids um, not making a living or are they worried about what the neighbors are going to say or are they worried about something in their own history that makes a certain kind of success valuable? That's step one. So what, mm -hmm. once that's done and people are prepared to help their kids be more creative uh, or curious or risk-taking, I think a lot of it depends on um, like what I'm calling dinner time conversation. Um, mm -hmm. yes. You know what? I ha I have people who, and I believe in. They say we, it's not us. It's not us anymore. And there's truth to this. A lot of the kids have internalized this narrow definition of success. It's not us. We don't say you have to good get great grades. We understand if a grade slips, it doesn't have to be the best college. And then I used to go and have dinner with them, you know, just to get a real feel of what was going on mm -hmm. in the family. And dinner time conversation was, did you see the new Tesla down the block? Or did you hear so-and-so got a job at, at Facebook? Or mm -hmm. So they weren't pushing their kids, but the, the family culture was, these are the things we value. Mm -hmm. so, and so that's part of why I think parents have to do some of their own work first. So mm -hmm. given that, like, what you focus on makes a difference. And I'll give you an example from my own life. Every time I speak, so I've spoken at, I think, you know, 300 plus schools in the country. And every time I talked when my kids were still home, I would call them after a talk. And I would tell them what went wrong. Oh. And because some, if you're a speaker, something always goes wrong. Of course. Notes. You trip over the cord getting up on they the stage. They couldn't set it up right. The right. sound was off. Right. They don't know presenter mode, which I can't speak without because otherwise I wander off into something entirely different. So something always goes wrong. And it, it's trivial and one adapts to it quickly. So I decided long ago that instead of telling my kids, oh, that was great, um, which they didn't really have much interest in anyway, um, I would tell them what went wrong. And so it became kind of a family joke. Um, and the point of it was that even when you're an adult, life is about um, challenge, little challenge, big challenge, and that you have the skills to overcome them. Mm -hmm. And uh, in retrospect, I think that was a good lesson. I think my kids would agree that that was a good lesson mm -hmm. um, because Kid, no matter no matter how much your kids, you didn't say how old your children were, Robin. Mine are almost 10 and 11. So that they're on the, the cusp of adolescence. Yes, yes. I, for sure, my daughter, who's ending her fifth grade year, definitely feels that way. Right. So, you know, if she hasn't started eye rolling yet, uh, she probably will at some point. It's, it's, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> um, so no matter how much your kids, you know, roll their eyes at you and stuff, you're still the most important person in their life. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think to the extent to which you allow for uh, and encourage, and I don't like the word failure. You know, I, my kids are spaced apart. One husband, but they're spaced apart. Mm -hmm. And so um, for, for a long time, it was kind of like, what is it that interests you? What is it that um, you want to take a risk on? What mm -hmm. is it? So I was a mother for a very, very long time, is my point. Yes. And every kid is different. I didn't do my usual disclaimer, which I think is important. Every kid is different. Mm -hmm. Every family is different. And when to your audience, Robin, when you listen to an expert, um, we know globally Yes. Uh, how to do these things. So if you say, well, wait a minute, I don't think creativity is something that can be taught. Yes, it can. And I can help you with that. But every child's different. Mm -hmm. So will you end up with a yo-yo ma or um, a Picasso? Probably not. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a funny story in my book about something we had done at Challenge Success, you know, the thing I co-founded down at Stanford, mm -hmm. which is education reform. And we always, we have a big meeting uh, once a year and we put up scenarios. And one of the scenarios was about a boy who, uh, whose math grade was falling and his parents were concerned. And we gave our audience of over a thousand people three options. One was um, take the guitar away. One was oh, yes, um, I remember the story. Uh, get him a tutor. And one was when his grade comes up, give him more time on the guitar. Mm -hmm. and, and I mentioned that story to a friend of mine named James Hetfield, who mm -hmm. is the head uh, uh, singer of uh, Metallica mm -hmm. and he looked at me like I was crazy and he said what happened to start a band yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> and you know that that's a great example of um, if we can broaden our own notions about creativity then kids by nature I have a year and a half old granddaughter they are unbelievably curious mm -hmm. and every time and I've heard this hundreds of times in my office, don't take photography, don't take chemistry. No, I'm sorry, don't take uh, pottery, don't take photography, don't take theater, you know, they won't help your GPA. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge mistake because those are the places where creativity is valued. The creative kid is valued. The creative idea is valued. And mm -hmm. so you can facilitate that by one being creative yourself two paying attention to your child when they exhibit some creativity um, one of the things I used to do with my patients Robin was whenever they came in with their long story about how great their GPA was because you get to be a little bit of an actor when you're a therapist yes. was I would be really bored you know I'd kind of look out the window look at my watch I was not interested but when they came in with a creative idea, you know, I would perk up, they would perk up and, you know, you're just reinforcing that. And the questions you said, like, came like rapid fire. Tell me more about that. What was really interesting to you? Like, what, right. <laughs> and right. Like it was, it was the floodgates would open on your end and on their end. Right. And, and so, you know, that, you know, if I have to make one point in my life, it is that, 
parents need to listen. They need to elicit those kinds of things. And parents are always saying, my kid doesn't talk to me. And my answer always is, well, how well do you listen to your kid? So important. I think I circled your stuff on listening in, in your book too. It is so valid that we need to make sure we're listening and not just listening for the quote unquote right things, right. listening for those nuggets of things that are different about our children or creative about our children. But I would also say what really interests them. Like my son has like this profound sense of justice. So when Mm -hmm. I hear him say something about something in the news or something at school, something that seems unfair, I'm, I want to hear more about that. Like tell me more about that because he's passionate about it. He's like, there's something, you know, he's been hearing all about, racial bias lately and all the horrible stories in, that have been highlighted in the news. Right. And uh, I just actually wrote up one um, on Facebook today and it's been shared a lot because it's a conversation with him and it really does highlight his sense of justice. Mm-hmm. I want to pull those things out. They're tough conversations to have at times, but I want to pull them out because that is like the nugget of who he is, right? That's like, that's like something that's going to, become something for him. I don't know where it will take him in life or, or why that's such an important thing for him. But if I, if I pull that out of him more, he's only becoming more of himself, right? Absolutely. And so, so I have a little story that might answer some of that, you know, where does this take you? Because Mm -hmm. I think the fear is, oh, that's nice. He's a kind kid, but you know, you don't make a living off of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So my youngest son was like your son. He was the, you know, every kid's different. He was the kid in the family who took food when he went out to uh, give to the homeless. When he worked construction in the summers, he would make lunch for uh, the guys on his crew. This is when he's in high school Mm. because he couldn't understand how they made a living. They all made $12 an hour. And they were, you know, in my neighborhood, they were Mexican guys who had a family and he couldn't figure out how they could feed their family on the 12 bucks an hour they were making. So he made their lunches. You know, it's lovely. And what happens to him? And and I did have some concern Mm -hmm. about he's so nice. Is he going to be taken advantage Mm -hmm. of? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, so I understand that totally about people worrying. But, you know, I tried to stay the course. Anyway, he's now a lawyer at City Hall in charge of what's called an equity program. And And doesn't that make sense? Yes. Like, I mean, when you look back, you go, yeah, like that actually makes complete sense that he was that kid. And now he's this adult. That's so cool. That's exactly right. And so personally, I experienced in, in real time, the idea that these skills are critical. Mm -hmm. Um, They're necessary. They make for better workers, better partners, better friends, better parents as your kids grow up. Um, And and I I refuse to use the term soft skills. I call them foundational skills. I like that better too. Yeah, soft is like, you know, it's like a girly skill or something like that. And um, horrible in itself right there. But yes, exactly. Okay. I, I love all the things that you're saying. I think they're so important because it, it, you know, you're highlighting the fact that we need to model these skills. Mm-hmm. We need to be the skills, right? We need to talk right. out loud about the skills. We need to uh, talk about 
the things that can happen and how we can overcome them. And in, in real time, mm -hmm. uh, we need to broaden our notions of, about creativity and success and, and pull out the, those parts of our children that may not be the things that society is saying is most important, but actually, as it turns out, jobs are really showing that that is what's important, like that is what they want. Um, even if, you know, during high school and, and middle school, it's like they're getting a different message. The, the skills that we often are dismissive of or think are, you know, a, of a lower importance, it really you know, you said I was a psychologist for 35 years. It's almost 40 years. Oh, and nice. <laughs> one thing I've learned is that when kids become enamored of something, and I'm not talking about, you know, heroin or right, drugs or anything, that, that what they learn, it's like Hetfield's comment to me about start a band. Mm -hmm. If you can focus on it, um, show grit around it, you, in the process of learning, you absolutely will fall down. You absolutely will pick yourself up again. You will learn to self-regulate. You will learn to collaborate. All those things happen. And I have no concern about what a kid is interested in. So sometimes it's chemistry and sometimes it's ferns and oh. plants. And, and the skills that kids need to learn can be learned through any of those things. Um, so to mm. keep it that it's only if you're, you know, if you're a chemistry nut, that mm -hmm. that's the only thing that's valuable. Really, when your kids are younger, it's the fact that they're engaged in something, that they're curious about something that matters. And that will, just like the story about my son, that will translate into um, a life skill. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. I, I think it's amazing that you have that perspective of somebody who can look back and say, this is how it translated because yeah. it, it's, it really says so much mm -hmm. about, um, you know, where we are today and, and being able to embrace that. If you have a child uh, who, for those who are listening, who, who do seem particularly anxious and you are, you know, modeling and, but they're still getting those messages from society. How do you help them to try new things when in school, their best friend is constantly comparing or their teacher is got to work harder because you got to get these good grades or their college counselor or whoever. Mm -hmm. how, how do we counteract those messages that seem really strong from what they're getting from society? So I think we do a couple things. Um, again, I think, you know, the, the um, culture of the house is really important. Yes. The ability, <clears throat> excuse me, to listen to our kids' distress around those kinds of things is really important. And, you know, when we were talking about listening, I've, I've done um, seminars for CEOs on how to listen. We think we're listening and very often, especially as a parent, you know, you're formulating the solution to the problem. You've got an agenda. Right. You've got an agenda. And you do know better. The fact is you do know better uh, because you're 30 years older or 40 years older mm -hmm. than your Good kid point. is. Mm -hmm. um, but the only way the kid learns to, you know, sort of put that out there and solve it himself, because at the end of the day, 
you know, it's all about intrinsic motivation and intrinsic set of values, not something that's been mm-hmm. projected onto the kid. That's how you help that kid figure out for themselves. Um, not jumping in to right, no. rescue them, as you talked about, or over-involvement. Even the people who are calling colleges and saying, I've got to give them a piece of my mind because you're right. not doing right. X, Y, and Z. I was like, oh, yes, exactly. Right. And, you know, I have that whole chapter on what I'm calling accumulated disability, this, mm-hmm. this um, urge to spare one's child and by extension oneself from anxiety. So mm. you have an anxious kid and they don't like walking past dogs right. and you do everything in the world to make sure that they don't have to walk past dogs. That's the exact opposite of what a psychologist would do in their office. Um, they would do, you know, exposure and a little bit of exposure, a little bit of ex- a little bit more, a little bit more. Avoiding problems is not any way to become comfortable with them. And I, and I think that instead of um, being quite so solution oriented, like um, you didn't get invited to that birthday party, so we're going to have bigger birthday party. <laughs> I think, I think I, in, when we still had sports and I was a huge Warriors fan, uh, one of the kids didn't get invited to the party. So the mom and the dad took the whole group of kids to a Warriors game, which were, they were very exciting. And, and they thought that was a great thing to do because it stopped the kid from being anxious, which meant it stopped them from being anxious. But they absolutely deprived that kid of a disappointing experience. Mm-hmm. They made it a much had. bigger deal, didn't they? I mean, they yeah. really did make that issue a much bigger deal. That's right. And and so I think parents need to work on a phrase like, you've got this, I think you can handle it. You can um, do hard things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, in in my office, I rarely hear that. I rarely hear like a kind of confidence that kids can manage difficulty. I hear my daughter actually repeating things like, I am fully competent. (laughs) (laughs) I am fully able, fully, because it's so the way I phrase things. You are fully able. (laughs) And she's like, mom, I am fully able to do this. I'm fully competent. (laughs) Okay, back to me now. I guess I, you know, I'm not helping you with that. You got this. But but like, that's so cool. And that, so she has, you know, people talk about um, confidence. It's really important for kids to have confidence. You don't, you don't uh, put confidence on when somebody says, oh, you know, you got a great grade or that, you did a beautiful job. You get confident confidence when you're competent. Yes, you got, and they have to they have to be able to make the, the make the eggs themselves. Then That's right? right, they they have to make the cookies themselves, and then yes, they can ask for you know scaffolding and help in 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 any way. But they actually need to be able to take the lead, even though it's going to be messier. And as right. you say in your book, I totally re- uh, related to this that your the parent was like. It's just quicker for me to do it. Of course, right. it's quicker for you to do it. You totally know how to do this. Right. right. Absolutely no. quicker. Right. So, and, and think of just that's a great experience making eggs. You know, they'll burn them once, they'll Absolutely. be mushy once, they'll forget to clean out the pot, you know, all oh, those things yes. which are learning opportunities. And I have one more thing I want to say about that 
capacity to tolerate disappointment because I think it's I think it's what the kids I was starting to see 15 years ago were suffering from mm -hmm. was an inability to to deal with the challenges of life and right before the virus the last talk I gave here in San Francisco I had 500 people and I asked how many people in the audience had never had their heart broken. Mm. One person raised their hand. Wow. Um, that meant 499 of the rest of us had had our heart broken at some time. And I was interested in that because, you know, unfortunately, breakups and things like that are often precipitants for depression or even suicide. Mm. And obviously, everybody in that room had, except for one person, <laughs> had made it through uh, that disappointment. And in thinking, if you think about it, how do you get to a point where you can tolerate having your heart broken? Mm. It's because you tolerated not going to that birthday party mm. and you tolerated not getting on the select team. And then you tolerated not getting into the college that was your first choice. So there's a titration, a, mm. a dosing of disappointment over many years. Unfortunately, right now, I think kids have been thrown into the deep end of the pool right. in terms of learning to tolerate disappointment. Right, because they're not, not having prom, they're not having an in-person graduation, they're, they're, they've had all these issues right now, and if it had been taken away from them in those small doses as you're talking about, this is, if this is their first soiree, you know, yeah. this first time that first they're dance. dealing with it, it's, it's really tough. This is a tough one. It, it is. And, you know, as, as difficult as teenagers can be right now, you've got to have a lot of empathy of for course. them be, because, you know, the kids that I treat, they're coming home from college and living with parents again because they don't have a job. And Oh, um, that's so hard. Yeah, right. And I think about like my, my niece is in 12th. 12th grade. Uh -huh. um, my daughter's in fifth, so she's also like moving up to a new school. But I think of my niece, um, my nieces especially, because here you are, like you're graduating from high school. You're about to, you know, set forth in many ways <laughs> to this new life that you've been right. you know, preparing for and excited for and you've been plans for. And then all of a sudden, it's not happening in that way. Or right. it's like, you know, you're, you're sort of going, but you're sort of not going and, and how frustrating that must be for them. They're, they really are uh, giving up a lot of those first experiences as we remember them sure. and, you know, it'll be different for them and, and they'll get their feet under them. I, I imagine because that's the way it will be, but it's hard and it is time for some empathy in that regard. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's also a nice opportunity for parents. You know, there's been a million articles which I've contributed to mm -hmm. on tips and do this and don't yes. do that and all those kinds of things. I, I think there's, I call them the four S's, there's four things that kids need to thrive. And that's stability, security, being soothed, and being seen. Mm -hmm. And, and if there's anything that I sort of like to say to your audience, it's that you may be having a hard time, the kid may be getting up later, or the dishes are in the sink, or there's dust balls, whatever. Um, use the tips that, that people have thrown out, and they're mostly around take care, self-care. I'm not 
frankly sure what self-care <laughs> means right now because we have so many multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. but, no know, kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy to give out tips like that, like right. take care of yourself and you lock know, yourself like, in the bathroom and scream if you have to. Right, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. What it's amounted to at this point, like, can right. you, you know, shower and scream or cry? <laughs> yeah, self care used to be like Canyon Ranch or oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get a massage. No, we just want to go to the bathroom by ourselves. Right. <laughs> so you know, you have to be realistic. But at the end of the day, the, you got to think about what the goal is here. And the goal is to come out of this with an intact family. Mm. Um, and, and that means, and there's going to be fights and disagreements and all kinds of stuff. But if you do anything with your kids, it's to create an environment that feels those things, stable, secure, soothed, and seen. And, mm. and, and the rest is, you know, I, people are doing the best they can. Um, and they are predicting a mental health crisis around the country now. Every, every NIMH and every organization is I'm saying we're going to have a huge mental too. health crisis. Absolutely. So back to the original point of telling a kid you can, you can handle this. Mm -hmm. I think you do everything you can and, and communicate some trust in your child's ability to handle this just like you're gonna communicate some trust in your partner or mm -hmm. your friend. Um, that doesn't mean you're not empathic. That doesn't mean you're not listening. You do all those things, but instead of, oh my God, it's the end of the world, I think, I think our kids will benefit from, it's a really tough time, um, but I, as your, as your daughter says, you know, I'm totally capable. I am I fully capable. I yeah. am I love that. Confident. I can do this. And it's like, a good bumper right. sticker. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, she's mimicking me. And, you know, sometimes when you hear your own words come out of a little or person, right? you're like, okay, I guess I have to listen to that. You know, it's like that, that it, is, it is absolutely working when you say that. I believe, and I've, I imagine you do too, from what I've read, that you know, when you say these things over and over again, they sort of become, you know, family mantras or right. you know, just something you say, that it becomes their words, their script, their, you know, what they're sure. saying in their own heads. And so that when you're not around and they are faced with something, am I going to be able to do it? That I'm fully, fully competent or fully capable or, you know, I'm able to do this comes to their mind because I've done it in the past and, right. I, and I'm okay with it if I don't do it, but I'm going to try again. Uh, that, that that's what happens in your absence. Uh, that's, that's the end of ready or not, right? That you actually have a kid who's going to succeed in life on their own terms. That's right. Which are to a large degree, some of your own terms mm -hmm. um, that they've internalized. I used to, in my neighborhood, when I, so I have three boys in the car, right? And in my neighborhood in Kentfield, sometimes kids would be riding without a helmet on. Mm. And I used to roll that. My kids knew what was happening. <laughs> they would sink down in their seats so oh, nobody gosh. could see them because they knew I was going to yell out, put on a helmet. Or does your mom know you're, you don't have a helmet on? Mm -hmm. And they were mortified as mortified. children. Mortified. Mortified. Please. The other day, I, I'm... Uh, with my kid, my oldest kid, and so a kid passes by without a helmet on, and he shouts out, hey, buddy, get a helmet on. <laughs> and, 
So, gratifying for you. Yeah, it, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's you know, great. and I think I think what I have because my kids, like I said, are grown. I have the perspective and the the luxury of looking okay. backwards and saying, I can promise you that that grade that your child got in social studies in the seventh grade does not matter. What matters is that your kid has um, a good moral compass, has good values, knows how to respect people, can make good relationships, wants to contribute. Um, I can't say that loudly enough. I, I feel can't. like you've given us your top tip, but I'm going to ask you if you have <laughs> a top tip that you really want people to come away with after listening to everything that we just discussed. Is there one nugget that you really want them to come away with? Um, well, I think I've said a couple of them. I, I know you have. That's why I'm yeah. like, I kind of, you kind of did it. But if you but, want to say it again, you know, yeah. in so, soundbite fashion, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, listening, really listening is critically important. And um, you can focus on your kids, but you've got to focus on yourself first, because mm -hmm. how you're doing has more to do with how your kids are doing than anything else. And kids are pretty resilient. So um, try practicing the phrase, hey, honey, I think you got this. Um, mm -hmm. It's a good phrase to have in your armamentarium of uh, mother, mother language. I think you're right. I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. And of course, you know, I, as I, I tell people this, and I will tell it, say it in a moment too, when I'm finishing up this whole podcast is, you know, if you're looking back and you're going, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? Um, <laughs> there's always time to make some changes. Uh, parenting provides do-overs every single day. Right. And, and you can forgive yourself uh, because we all make a million mistakes, a million, right. a million mistakes. Right. You, who's fabulous. Right. Uh, and, and that we don't want to sit there and bash ourselves. So, you know, if you feel like you've been sending a message that you want to change, that's okay. You can change that message. Um, okay. And give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the great work that you're doing? So um, I have my own website and God knows if I know the name of it. I think it's Dr. Madeline Levine. Dot I'll com. have the link on our show notes. So <laughs> even, even so, don't worry about it. That shows you my level of uh, sophistication, technological sophistication. The other place would be Challenge Success. Okay. They have some terrific white papers, all research-based on mental health and on the colleges and all kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. So if it's just about me, my website, and if you want broader resources, around education and your kids, that's a great resource. And I, and I also love Common Sense Media. Yes, I interviewed decisions. them too. No, I, I think that that's, that's a great resource, absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, I had so much fun talking to you today. Yeah, so me too. Forever, it was just <laughs> so pleasant and so interesting. I, I think what you're bringing uh, to light is is valid and important and things that we need to hear in order to help solve some of the the issues that we're having and i want to thank you for being on the show my pleasure that was so much fun oh i'm so glad it was so much fun right it was so much fun 
And guess what, everybody? We are going to be doing a giveaway of Madeline's book, Ready or Not, Preparing Our Kids to Thrive in an Uncertain and Rapidly Changing World. And if you'll go up to Twitter or Instagram and post what the biggest nugget you are taking away from this podcast is, you will be entered in to win a copy of Ready or Not. And we are so excited about that. So thank you so much again for being on the show. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I hope you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook and go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about Madeline Levine's great strategies and use them in their own homes and schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today where you're thinking, ah, I did that wrong. I should have done it differently. You can always go back and try again. You can apologize. You can move through this. We are learning from our mistakes just like our children are. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.